Well, church, we're going to take a diversion today. We're teaching through Exodus, and we're actually in the second half of Exodus. Uh, but I'm going to take a diversion away from Exodus today. We'll come back to Exodus chapter 14 next week. And uh, since it is Mother's Day, and I don't, I don't always do this, but I felt really impressed to really speak to moms today, and not just speak to moms, but to speak to all of us concerning moms, motherhood, and women. So, I want to encourage mothers today, and I would like all of us to encourage mothers, actually to encourage women, and in particular, mothers. But I also want to encourage fathers today to not only encourage, but to support your wives and the mother of your children in the vital calling that God has placed upon their lives. I believe this with all of my heart. When done right, there is no work more difficult or rewarding than the work of a mother. And in our culture today, motherhood is surely belittled, it is sorely besieged, and it is systematically outsourced to other institutions and to other people. Women are too often made to feel as though they will miss out on something significant if they choose to become mothers and raise their children instead of climbing the establishment's ladder to success. Large families are frowned upon for social, environmental, and economic reasons. The practical and religious norms that once governed our culture are seen as outdated in the least, if not held to be dangerous by some in our culture today. All of this is impacting families, and in particular, it impacts mothers who daily deal with the fallout from all of these changing norms. Mothers who are privileged to be tasked with raising their children find themselves having to justify, oftentimes, whether it's the number of children they have or their choice to stay home and raise their children. But their choice to sacrifice much in order to gain and to give more is lost to the world. The world does not understand oftentimes the importance that mothers play, not only for the family, but for our culture in general. And though the world may not see and as a dad and as a husband, I am oftentimes very blind and I know as my wife raised our children and schooled them at home and sacrificed a lot for us to be able to do that, um, it was very often lost on me how difficult her job was. On those rare occasions when I had to keep the kids all day long while she was doing something else, it made me realize just how difficult it is 
And I was thankful that I was the one that got to go out and work. And not because I didn't love my kids, because I love my kids, but God gifts women to be mothers in ways that he does not gift men to be mothers. Men are created to be fathers. Women are created to be mothers. And they both play a vital role in the family But men were never meant to be mothers, and mothers were never meant to be fathers. And so we should appreciate the roles that God has given to each of us. But God sees and God knows and God ordains mothers and motherhood. Because think about this, even the God-man, Jesus Christ, was raised by his mother. God could have brought Jesus into this world any way that he chose to. But God chose to create man, and from man create woman, and from woman bring the Savior into the world. Our mothers need encouragement and support. They need to know that they are appreciated and that their very hard and important work does not go unnoticed. Today, many mothers work outside the home, and so they have really two or more jobs. The job of being a mother doesn't stop just because a mom is working outside of the home. And so I want to encourage mothers today. I want you to be encouraged that your work is noticed, but especially that it is noted by God, not just on Mother's Day, but it is noted by God every day. With that said, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 18, Genesis 2, 18. And we're going to read into chapter 3. I don't know if I'm going to read all of chapter 3, but we're going to read some of chapter 3. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Then chapter 3 begins like this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said 
to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it. Long story short, they ate it. They were not supposed to, but they ate it. They, their eyes were open. They hid themselves in the bushes. They sowed for themselves fig leaves. They covered themselves. God says, Adam, where are you? Not, that, not because God didn't know where they were. He knew exactly where they were, and he knew exactly what had happened. The question, when God asks us a question like that, the question is asked of us, not because God needs to know the answer from us. It's that we need to know what the answer is. We need to know and realize why God is asking the question. And so it's revealed they are fallen now. They've eaten from the tree. They've disobeyed God. They trusted themselves instead of trusting God. That's really, you can boil sin down to that. Sin is trusting yourself and not trusting God. And we can say all day long we trust God, but our actions actually prove where our trust really is. Adam and Eve could have said all day long, we trust you, God, we trust you, God. We trust you, God, and this is what people do all the time. With their mouth, they say, I trust you, God, but with their life and their actions are presenting a very, very different picture. And so God comes and God issues the curse. Now, I do want to read what God says as a result of the fall. Let's look at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, so here's the order, the curse comes. He says to the serpent, he says to the woman, he says to the man. Who was the authority in the garden? The man was. Adam was the authority. Adam was the gatekeeper. Fathers, are you listening? Men, are you listening? You are the gatekeepers for your families. This is Mother's Day. We're talking about moms today. But we can't talk about moms without talking about dads. The serpent, the woman, the man. And to the serpent, the Lord said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. Now, here's what I want you to do as I read this. I want you to pay close attention because this is not just a curse. There's not just curse here. There is grace here. I don't want you to just look for the curse. I want you to look for the grace and the promise that God gives to all of us in proclaiming this curse upon the serpent, the woman, and the man. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Do you see grace right there? The proclamation of the seed that would come. There's grace. Between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is speaking of Jesus. To the woman... 
He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then Adam said, because you have heeded, then, then, he, then, Adam, to, then to Adam he said, I'm so sorry. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall it bring forth. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground out of which you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Look at verse 20. Here's where we stop. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Father, we ask that you would take this holy word of yours, the scripture that is filled here with the gospel, the good news. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your gospel. Let it change our hearts. Let it renew our minds that we would be a people conformed to the glorious image of the Son of God. We ask this, Lord, that you would be glorified in and through your church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24 that we, that we read records the creation of woman. Now, we're going to work through all of this till we get down to verse 20, but I want to point some things out as we work our way through this. We go back to Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to see that as we read this, that the man is referred to as Adam. And it says that God will make a helper comparable to Adam. And in verse 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and Adam slept, and he took Adam's rib, he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he built into a woman. And that's, that's literally what the Hebrew word is there. Your Bible might say he made into a woman, but, but it is a word that means to literally build. He built a woman from the man. Has a little bit of a different connotation versus just saying God made a woman. Kids make a mess, right? There's a difference between making a mess and building a house, correct? When you build something, it just speaks of order and purpose. So women, I want you to understand that the Bible teaches us that God built you. And he built you, he created you, he made you, he built you with purpose. With his purpose, with his plan in mind. 
And when we read in Genesis chapter 3 and we see the curse that God pronounces, you see that God was not just reacting to a situation, but God in eternity before a material creation existed, God already had the blueprint. He already had the plan and the purpose all worked out. So woman was in the mind of God before she was created. And when he actually literally took that rib, when he opened the side of Adam and he built that woman, he built her according to the plan and purpose that he had for her in eternity. You are not an afterthought. You aren't the product of God looking at man and saying, gee, that poor man is alone. I wonder what I could do to help him out. Oh, I think I'll just build a woman. No, that's not how it happened at all. You were in the mind of God, in the plan of God, in the purpose of God before anything was ever created. You are a product of that. But I want you to see that Adam is referred to here, Adam, Adam. It means, we, we say it means man, and it does. It speaks of mankind. It speaks of humanity. It speaks of, it paints a picture of red dirt. So we know that Adam was made from dirt, from clay that was reddish in color. And so God puts Adam to sleep. He takes the rib. He builds the woman. He wakes Adam up and he brings the woman to the man. Now, at this point, Adam had never seen a woman. Adam just went through the process of naming all the animals. Not because they needed names. I believe that God did that and he had Adam name all those because God wanted Adam to understand there was no one and nothing comparable to him. And that was the conclusion Adam came to after naming all the animals. He names all the animals and then he says to himself, gee, I noticed there's no one comparable to me. There's, there's nothing like me. It was an epiphany. It was a moment of revelation for Adam. And that's exactly what God wanted Adam to come to. And he did. And the commission, the mandate in the first chapter of Genesis for everything was to be fruitful and multiply. Trees, birds, animals, everything. But man could not fulfill that mandate to be fruitful and multiply by himself. That's why it was good, not good that man was alone. It wasn't that God was worried about his emotional state, his condition mentally and emotionally living alone. He's going to get cabin fever here with no, no, no one to talk to except the animals. No, that was not it. The reason it was not good that man was alone was because man could not be fruitful and multiply by himself. He needed a helper. He needed a companion. He needed a woman. And so God built a woman, not from the dirt, not from the dust, but from the very essence of, the very life, the very substance of Adam, God took 
the woman out of the man. Now, all of this is a picture of Christ. I can't, I don't have time to go into that today, but all of this, the way God has done all of this is picturing for us Jesus Christ and his church. God created everything the way he created it down to the minutest specification and detail because it is picturing for us Jesus and the church. And we know this is true because Paul gives us the commentary in Ephesians 5. Go read Ephesians 5, husbands and wives. Paul addresses them, not because he's writing a marriage seminar, but because he's writing about the church. And at the end of that chapter, he says, I speak a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Adam and Eve picture for us Christ and the church. So here, Adam wakes up. God brings the woman to Adam. Now, Adam has not seen a woman before. He's not seen anyone comparable to him until now. And when God brings the creation that he just built out of the side of Adam, when he brings her to Adam, Adam says this. These are the words of Adam. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Right there, Adam names the woman. She shall be called woman. He just got through naming everything on the earth. And he sees the woman and he says, she shall be called woman. Why? Because she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam looked at her and he said, this is a creation comparable to me. She came out of me. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, what's What's interesting, right there at the end of verse 23, look at this. Adam, look at verse 23. And Adam, Adam is one Hebrew word. Adam said, and he he goes through this whole thing, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Not Adam. It's a different word. It's the word ish. Adam says, she shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. He not only names the woman, but he names himself. And the name of the man and the woman, what they are called, demonstrates this inseparable link. That man and woman are inseparably linked together by the creator, for the creator, and for his purpose. Now, I can tell you right now, my sermon today is not politically correct. And it is not politically correct because it is biblically correct. Because women, you are created a woman by God, men, You are created a man by God. You are created by God for his purpose, for his plan. 
But how is a man to love his wife? Paul tells us the way Christ loved the church. How is a woman to love her husband? The way the church is to love the the head of it who is Christ. She is to respect it, submit to it, obey it. Now that sounds really whacked out to our culture today. And that is something that can be very controversial, and it is very controversial, mainly because we've got a bunch of men who don't know how to be Christ to their wives. And consequently, we have a lot of wives who don't know how to be like the church is to be for Christ. So I want you to see that the woman and the man here are linked together because woman came out of man. Now we get to Genesis chapter 3, and we see the, we see the temptation in the fall. So Genesis 2, we have the record of the creation of the woman. In Genesis chapter 3, we've got the record of the fall of man and the curse that comes and the future of man. So it's not just a curse that God is proclaiming, but he is proclaiming mankind's future in proclaiming this curse that resulted from the fall. And it culminates here in verse 20, and Adam, now remember, Adam saw the woman, and he said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now they eat the fruit, they fall from grace, death comes, death enters into the creation, the whole creation falls under the curse. God pronounces the curse to the serpent, he pronounces the curse to the woman, I want to draw your attention to what he says about the woman. Look, here is hope. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Where's hope there? Don't get hung up on the sorrow. Look at the fact that God says, I will multiply your conception. He's already said there's going to be a seed that's going to come from the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent that brought this upon creation. So God is pronouncing judgment, but he's also giving hope and promise. We are very guilty of reading our Bible and only reading about judgment and condemnation. We need to have eyes to see the hope and the promise that God has filled this word with, because even in the pronunciation of this curse, God is giving hope and promise to his creation. I will multiply your conception. You will bring forth children Women, mothers, you are created to bring forth children. It was God's plan and God's purpose. It is for the good of humanity. It is for the good of of the creation. It is for the glory of God. So here are all of these promises here pronounced by God upon man. And we get to the end of this when God is pronouncing the judgment and he's, I like to call it, it's, it's the grace-filled curse that God pronounces. It's full of grace. And Adam is hearing. Now Adam knows, remember Adam was there with Eve. The serpent went to the woman, she bypassed the authority 
He's the lawless one. He went around the man, and the man didn't stand up and take his, his rightful place and exercise his authority on the serpent. He allowed the serpent to communicate with his wife, deceive her. She was tempted. She ate the fruit. And not only that, she says, hey, you want to buy it, Adam? Sure. And he took a bite, too. So they were all guilty, and they all suffered because of their sin. So Adam is very well aware that what Eve did and what he did has brought death to the creation. He's aware. And he's listening to the curse that's being pronounced upon the serpent. And he listens to the curse that's being pronounced upon his wife. And then he listens to the curse that's pronounced upon him. And after God finishes pronouncing the curse, this is what Adam did. Verse 20, don't miss this, church. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Doesn't mean much to you, does it? Well, here's a little secret. If you want to become a serious, a little more serious about reading your Bible, don't just... Don't just always read what your English version says. Nothing wrong with your English version. But just understand this, that God doesn't put anything in his word that's not there for a reason. Now, the word wife there is the very same Hebrew word for woman. So here in reality, what this literally says, and Adam called his woman not Eve, that's the English translation. It's a Hebrew word, kava, which means literally life. So here's what it literally says. And Adam called his woman life because she was the mother of all living. They didn't have any kids at that point. How did Adam? How did Adam know that she was going to be the mother of all living? Because he was paying attention to what God was saying. When God said, I will multiply your conception, you will bear children. There is a seed coming from you that will crush the head of this serpent. He paid attention. The woman, Isha, is literally the counterpart of man. So that word woman gives us a picture of the part counterpart. You know that cheesy line in all those chick flicks where the guy walks up to the woman and says, you complete me? That's literally the picture of a man and a woman. It is that cheesy, but it is that amazing. The man and the woman is the part counterpart. She was taken out of the man, and she is the only one that can be the counterpart to man that makes him whole again. This is why it's recorded in Matthew chapter 19, the words of Jesus. Jesus quotes Genesis. He quotes right there where it says, where Adam says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one 
flesh. Jesus quotes Genesis. Now, Adam didn't say that. Moses wrote that. And Jesus quotes Moses because this is the result of the woman being the bone of his bone and the flesh of his flesh. She was called woman because she was taken out of man. <clears throat> they are the part counterpart. The woman is the only one that can complete the man. The man is the only one that can complete the woman in the divine purpose of God. God created the male and female and he commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And this is why God created, why he built the woman and took her out of man because God's purpose all along was that they would become one again. And that picture does not stop at the civil union we call marriage. The Bible doesn't create civil unions. The Bible created marriage. And Jesus said he created them male and female. This is why marriage can only be between a man and a woman. You can have a civil union between anything you want to make legal, but you cannot have a marriage biblically defined by anything except a man and a woman. Because marriage is not just a civil or cultural or creation of man. Marriage is spiritual. Because marriage pictures for us, here's what the Bible says, Christ and his church. And so at the creation, Adam calls her woman because she was taken out of man. At the fall, Adam calls her literally life. So with the fall came the curse. And at the fall, after the proclamation of this grace-filled curse, Adam called the woman Eve because she's the mother of all living. But that name Eve is a Hebrew word that literally means life or living. If you were reading a Greek translation, the Greek word for life is zoe. And that's the way Eve's name is translated in the Greek. And he called her zoe. He called her life. Here's what one commentator put it. She is the mother of all living, for all human life will have its source in her body. And that is the truth. Even science is proving that today through the Human Genome Project. They've centered it down to an area of the world where they believe humanity originated. It just so happens to coincide with what the Bible has been saying for millennium. From the New American Commentary, listen to this. Adam's naming the woman is his exercise of responsible headship. Before and after the fall, the man is exercising the same prerogative of naming. In the former case, he is her source of life. Woman. She came out. I call her woman because she came out of man. So, he realized that he was the source of her life, just like we should realize that Christ is the source of our life. So at the creation, he called her woman because he is her source of life. And by naming her woman, he is acknowledging her companionship, this part-counterpart relationship 
that they have with one another. But here after the fall, when he sees that death has come, that through her death came, here at the fall he admits his indebtedness to her for life's future. And so he changes her name and he calls her not woman, not you came from my life, but now he calls her Eve and he acknowledges that you are the source now of all life. You are our hope. How did he know that? Because that is what God declared. Because God didn't say, Adam, through you, I'm going to send a savior to crush the head of the serpent. No, he said to the woman, he said to Eve, he said to life, I will through you bring a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. So woman became Eve, or we could say it like this in the literal sense, woman became life through the prophetic proclamation of the man inspired by the grace-filled curse of God that came as a result of their fall into death, the woman is now called life. Women, that is who you are. That is what God has done through you. He has brought life. Yes, the first woman brought a curse, but God took that curse and he turned it into life. And that is the perfect picture of what God does in all of our lives. Because none of us are accepted by God because we get it all right. Because we are able to obey. Because our goodness outweighs our badness. Because we're good sin managers and I can manage sin and evil in my life. And so therefore God accepts me because I'm a really good sin manager. Eve ate the fruit because it was good to her. There's really very few people that in their mind are just out there pursuing evil. They think they're pursuing good, but the good that they're pursuing is really evil. And it will result in their death. And that's what Eve was doing. You can read it right there in the Bible. It looked good. It looked like it would taste good. It looked like it would make one wise, and it was pleasing to the eyes. It looks good. Let's eat it. She was pursuing what was good. And in the process, she died. But God took that death, and God took that sin, and God took that fall, like he does everything in our life. He turned it upside down. And from what appeared to be certain death, certain tragedy, certain destruction, the end of everything God had just done, God brought life. He brought promise. He brought hope. And he directed man's attention and said, don't look at this right now. Own this, just like we need to own our sin we need to own our sin. We need to repent of our sin. We need to acknowledge our sin. We need to own it, but we need to stop living in our sin, fixating on our sin, trying to figure out how we can change what we've already broken because you can't go back and change what you've already broken. But what you can do is look to the future, and that's what God did with the curse. He pointed them to the future. 
And he said, look at the hope and look at the promise. You will bear children. You will produce a seed and that seed will come one day. I'm not telling you what day, but it's going to come one day. And that seed that will come one day will crush the head of this serpent. You have hope. You have promise. It's not your past that defines you. It's your future. We see this with God's proclamation. Within the curse was the promise of life coming through the Savior born of woman. Within the curse was the promise of fruitfulness, increased conception, yes, with pain. Within the curse was the promise of life. Life is not pain-free. Life is not fair. But God has promised us life. And he says, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the unfairness, in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the trials, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It's not who the world proclaims you to be, it is who God created you to be. God created woman and inspired Adam to name her appropriately. Woman came from man, and so she is the counterpart of man. Woman is the source of all human life, so she is now called life by the man she brought death to. And he called her Eve, he called her life by the inspiration of God. Woman, you are created by God from man, for man, and for God's plan. Women, man was created so that you could be that you both, man and woman, would be for him. We want to make this about us. This is not about us. This is about him. He created man the way he created man. He created woman the way he created woman. And he did it and put them together as one because this is ultimately not about us. This is ultimately about him. But if we learn and if we will take to heart what God has revealed to us in his word and we will trust him and his good plan and his good purpose, we will not only be okay with saying, okay, well, I guess that's, I guess I have to be okay with this. No, we will find the joy that is full of glory and inexpressible in him that God wants you to experience in Jesus Christ. Women, you are created to mother biologically, emotionally, and spiritually. Women, you are created to multiply biologically, emotionally, and spiritually. Women are created and built for fruitfulness, though now with pain and suffering. Don't focus on the pain and the suffering. Focus on the fruit. Jesus said in John 15, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And you can take that any way you want. Biologically, spiritually, because it applies to all. Women, you are created and built for life. At creation, she was called woman, but after the fall, Adam calls her name life. Be thankful to God for who you are and all he has called you to be. Be content 
with who you are as God created you to be. Do not allow the world to manipulate you into believing that you have to become someone or something other than who God has made you to be. Rest in God's created plan and purpose that brought you from man to be for man, his counterpart, to become one with man again, just like man was in the garden alone, that you would become one with man again in order to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glorious image of God. Because it is not ultimately about you, it is about God. Rejoice that God chose a woman to bring into the world our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was not the seed of man that Mary carried, but it was the seed of God. Rejoice again that God is still using women to bring his salvation into the world through the birth and the new birth of all who will become heirs of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Conform yourself to God and not to this world. Commit to be a disciple of Jesus and commit to raise up and to disciple your children in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. Trust in Jesus and know that he is your life, that he alone is your hope, in this life and in death. What is our hope in life and death? We learn this when we learn the catechism. Jesus Christ is our hope, both in life and in death. The woman was called life because it was through woman that life would come. Jesus is that life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. God built a woman so that he could bring through that woman the Savior of the world. He did not build a man so that that man could bring the Savior. He built a woman so the woman could bring the Savior. But the woman didn't bring the Savior by herself. It was the two that became one. And like the first woman, you are not defined you are not identified by your past. All of us have a past. When you talk to someone, you don't know where that person has been. You don't know who that person is. You don't know what their past is. They might look great on the outside, but you don't really know what's going on on the inside. And a lot of people define themselves based on their past. But the Bible is crystal clear from beginning to end that we are never to define ourselves based on our past. We are always to define ourselves and identify ourselves in Jesus Christ. If we are not in Christ, we have no hope. It doesn't matter what your past is. If you're not in Christ, you have no future. But if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what sins you have committed. It doesn't matter what your life was. The Bible says if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
people tell me all the time, well, I was just born this way. I was just born mean. I was just born, you know, uh, I was born a liar. I was born, I've been lying, you know, I, I was born this way. Pastor, I'll never be faithful. I've, I've actually had uh, a man tell me this. I'll never be faithful to my wife because God just made me this way. I just, I just love women. And you know what my response to all of that is? I, okay, I, I, I believe you were born that way. You were born worse than that. You were born not just an adulterer. You were born a thief. You were born a murderer. You were born a liar. You were born a pervert. You were born whatever. You Pile it on because that's what we were all born as. The problem with the world is we want to keep our identity and just clean it up. God says, I'm not interested in your past. I'm not interested in your identity. I want to kill that. I want to crucify that. I want to put that away. Yeah, you were born that way. You need to be born again. Because the Bible says we're all born into sin. Pick your sin. Pick your poison. It does not matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's a sin the world rejects or whether it's a sin the world accepts. We're all born that way. We need to be born again. And that's our only hope. And that hope was brought into the world by a woman named Mary. She wasn't rich. She wasn't famous. She was poor. She was someone, no one knew her name except her family. Now, you would think if God was going to bring the King of kings and the Lord of lords into the world, he would have picked a, a better household, someone with more means, someone that was rich and could provide all the things that a king would, would definitely need. But God did it the exact opposite way. Stop trying to be what the world wants you to be. Stop trying to become what the world says you need to become. Stop chasing after the world and conforming yourself to the world and become what God created you to be. Stop looking at your past because we all have a past. And if you've not been born again, cry out to God and say, God, save me. This is who I am and I can't help myself. Yes, that's exactly right. When you realize that's who you are and you can't help yourself, you are on the verge of a breakthrough of being born again because you can't help yourself and I can't help myself. I need God. I need a Savior. So don't define yourself and identify yourself by your past. Let God make you new. Ask Him to make you new. Ask Him to cause you to be born anew, that the old things would pass away and all things would become new. If you have never trusted in Jesus, I encourage you to trust Him now and to find His life. We're going to get ready and come to the table. You're invited To come to this table, you're invited to trust in Jesus and you're invited to come 
to this table that speaks of His grace. We come to this table trusting in His cleansing power. You can't clean yourself, I can't clean myself. But His blood, we sang the song, will make me white on the inside. We can clean up the outside. We can bleach ourselves and make ourselves look really good on the outside. But what we can't do is clean ourselves up on the inside. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys look really good on the outside. You're all whitewashed and looking clean and looking really good. But on the inside, you're dead men full of dead men's bones. What this table does is it reminds us that the cleaning that we need most desperately is a cleaning that we cannot give ourselves. It is to be cleansed on the inside by the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Come to the table, come to the Lord, and come to Jesus. My charge is to us all, but in particular to women and to mothers. Do not listen and buy into the lies of this world. You were created for God's purpose. You were created a woman to bear life and light. You are not created to conform to this world and to chase after the things of this world. And that is why so many are empty and lifeless. Jesus Christ alone is our life, our light. We will never find life and light or true success and happiness in this world, no matter how hard we chase no matter how hard we work or who we seek to be with, we will only spend our life for things that will never ultimately satisfy. Here is what God has commanded us to do, to spend our life for Him, to live our life in such a way that when you die, you will know that you came to death by truly living. Mothers, fathers, children, don't waste the life that God has given you. Seek to glorify Him and find and live and experience what can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen.